While not featured in any Hollywood blockbusters like some universities from the UK, Boston, or California, Belgium's KU Leuven University has topped the Reuters ranking as Europe's most innovative university for four of the last six years. This Belgian innovation engine boasts more than 135 spin-out companies and has a dominant focus on healthcare innovation. Today I'm joined by Professor Martin DeVos and Inga de Prince to discuss KU Leuven's latest efforts to broaden the EU's innovation capacity through their new program focused on health innovation fellowships, which will be launched in partnership with TU Delft and Erasmus University Medical Centers in the Netherlands. Martin and Inga, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having Looking us. Forward to it. So many are aware of the Innovative Medicines Initiative, the IMI of the EU, which is seen by many as the European Commission's flagship innovation program. However, your latest program comes out of another initiative called the European Institute of Technology, the EIT, and their Health Fellowship Network. Can you tell us about the EIT and how KU Leuven's been involved in this program? Yes, certainly. Um, EIT Health is one of EU's knowledge and innovation communities, or KICS, and is also funded by the European Union, as you said. The EIT Health Fellowship, uh, more specifically, is a network that combines nine fellowship programs across the EU, from the Nordic countries to Ireland to Spain to Portugal, and closer to home, we have um, Paris, France, uh, that started last year. We are the eighth program of this family we will launch this year and then next year Cologne in Germany uh, should follow. So the EIT Fellowship Network is our umbrella project and the benefit fellowship that we will launch will fit into this network. We will follow the biodesign methodology for our program, uh, but Martins can certainly go into detail about that. And basically what our programs do is they bring together talents in engineering and medicine design, but also business management, and they co-create innovative solutions in healthcare. The difference is that they do this through observations rather than through a theoretical uh, framework. And we decided to do this together with TU Delft um, in the Netherlands because they are very strong in engineering and they have a strong background in there. Making a partnership with them seemed like the obvious way forward. Although we are the first program that is so ambitious to run it in two countries at the same time. Yeah, so Martin, Inga just mentioned the Stanford biodesign model. Can you tell us what exactly that is? Because you studied at Stanford and you were participating in that. Can you give us your perspective on how that will work? I indeed took part of the biodesign faculty in training over five years ago when it was a very eye-opening experience because they have a very long history. I recently celebrated their 20th year of innovation of the biodesign methodology and they even have a biodesign institute. And what makes them unique is that they really start uh, from a needs-led innovation approach. So different to other innovations, medical innovation is harder because you need to take into account all the different stakeholders. You don't have the patients you're selling to, you're selling to a medical doctor who's treating a patient, an insurer who's paying for this, and maybe you have some more healthcare regulations in place to take care of. So it's not one customer, it's this multi-headed dragon that you have to convince and then you have the long development times. So in order to de-risk massively, Stanford said like, let's start from the needs and the needs are really something that you can and should observe. 
And so in that way, that's really the core of the biodesign methodology. It's kind of a structured process that allows you to de-risk very early. And so ask questions often and ask the hard questions as soon as you get them in order to get the difficult answers early in the process and not just develop an innovation and at the end of the road discover it fails. When you say that it's something you can and should observe, what tangibly do you mean by that? If you ask a surgeon what is a problem, he will say what is his problem, but maybe this might not be the real underlying problem. Maybe if you ask them, why are you doing this like this? They will say, okay, I've been doing it always like this. <laughs> and so for him, that's the way to do it because that's how he's trained and that's how he will do it 50 years when he's uh, later when he's retiring. So by observing, you su su suddenly touch upon things they overlook because they're just so used to it. And so this is this unique angle of observation. And it makes the program unique because no company has access to a hospital environment to go and observe and spend time there just to discover this. And so we start from medical needs. We start medical needs by observation in the sense that it can be something anywhere in the process. It can be uh, a system need. It can be a medical need and so on and so forth, as long as it's going to create impact. So you've touched on some of the challenges. Obviously, in healthcare, you're talking 15 to 20 years to market. You're talking clinical trials. You're talking safety, manufacturing. And obviously, one of the most key criteria of the healthcare sector is cash burn. I mean, it's enormous amounts of money. Essentially, you're just shoveling cash into a furnace. And it's often three, four billion dollars before you can get to market. How are you going to manage some of these competing demands within the context of the program you're developing? De-risking is essential. We try to start from a very compelling need, but a compelling need is not a need that is just present, but a compelling need is a need that is clinically relevant, but is also taking care of all this other competing interest. So we are very early in the process already thinking which clinical trial is needed to basically convince the regulator that you're doing better. What is the cost? What is the manufacturing challenge? But also who is going to pay for it? What is a payment model? Is there a reimbursement code? If not, how likely is it? Obviously there is IP that everyone needs to take care of. So in that sense, we try really if within the first one to two months when they're still observing, they start thinking out all those things and that makes them very well equipped to design solutions that are not only addressing a need, but are basically optimally prepared for de-risking also all those later challenges. So the Institute for Biodesign focuses on ideation and development. Can you describe the process specifically of how that will work? I think we, we largely focus on three stages. So the first is what we name as observation. So people go in, look at different needs, and then they start characterizing those needs based on all the things that are relevant, competing solutions, potential impact, and all the criteria that are relevant at that stage. Then they start filtering. And so they start ranking and comparing different needs and they take forward only the best three or four needs. At that stage, they have a fully characterized problem. They have no solutions at all, but they know if they solve these needs, they're going to make a massive impact. Then we enter the second phase, which is in the ideation. And there they start brainstorming and using latest design methodology. And we are kind of mimicking the Stanford D-School methodology. There obviously pros and cons to, to every ideation methodology, but we put interdisciplinary teams together who can really stimulate and co-create solutions. And that's definitely a unique advantage that we have those different expertise, different engineers, different design experts, different medical input. And as such, 
we are coming up with various solutions. And again, we're going to quickly screen which is the most valuable one. Now, Inga, you come from a background that's both academic and academic research. You worked for the cost organization for many, many years. Now you find yourself at KU Leuven trying to reach to the market. How do you square the circle between academia and the market? For this program, what is nice is the, the jump between the very practical level that this program has to offer and then further down the road, the more strategic healthcare policy level. As, as Martin said, these fellows, they will observe in, by the way, two of the biggest hospitals in Europe, the biggest one in Belgium and the biggest one in the Netherlands, they will be there for about 10 weeks observing everything from clinical need to logistical process to patient care, are, are the information flyers clear enough, what have you. And they will produce a solution at the end of that tunnel. And afterwards, I find it our task to see, okay, how can we present these results to European healthcare policy makers? And that's where I believe KU Leuven is also well-placed because of our proximity to Brussels, uh, our presence in the EU bubble, but also because of experience that we have uh, in programs such as EIT Health. So I think we will be, well, I hope we will be a kind of bridge between the operational aspects of healthcare innovation and the strategic aspects of healthcare innovation. Yeah, and touching on that, KU Leuven, Belgium in general, Flanders has been very successful at spinning out technology, even though it's small, most people don't know that. But Belgium's very good at punching above its weight with new technologies and new companies. Martin, you're Flemish, but you also used to work for Oxford University. Why do you think Flanders is so successful? What's your competitive advantage here compared to, say, Oxford or Cambridge? Why, why do you think you're going to do it here and be successful? But I think uh, Leuven has a very long history in being the most innovative universities, which reflects they had a lot of inventions that were very influential. So basically, they created a lot of technology that made an impact. Obviously, there are many good universities. And personally, I try to refrain to state who is the best <laughs> because everyone has his own advantage. But yeah, definitely, Carol Oven is among the best in, in innovation. And it's really driven by this high-impact innovations uh, they achieved. Why is this? Because we have very good education. We have very good people. We have also a comfortable environment to nurture innovation, take moderate risk, and I think this, this combination of overall ambition with realistic ambition. Yeah, and specifically for this partnership, um, we have TAU Delft as well. I mean, they, they offer the full range of in engineering disciplines and they're part of a conglomerate of five Dutch universities. So it, it's a very strong partnership. But there's something specific about Flanders that's done very well with VIB as well, the Flemish Institute of Biotechnology. There's a certain culture here. However, one of the challenges we see is good technology that's developed in Europe often has to cross over the Atlantic and go to the U.S. to commercialize. How are we going to get over the fact that 75% of the inventions we're making here are being developed in the United States? Is the goal here to try and keep something here? I think we're slowly moving towards this. So we definitely see that many of the inventions are going to the U.S., mainly driven by the increased appetite for risk and also the availability of capital. But the European Union is also decreasing the boundaries to innovation, like the fact that we're small countries, every country has its own regulatory system and things like this. Alleviating those barriers will definitely drive uh, take-up. You can also state for us, particularly in health innovation, 
being supported by EIT Health Network that has similar programs and similar way of thinking across the different countries will help to quickly partner with different countries, enable, for example, to do a clinical trial in France because it's a bit easier and then get quickly reimbursement in Germany just because you have the different partners. Obviously, there is the validation and the interaction with the stakeholders. If we have a closed network that we can tap into then if we get those innovations recognized, I think also the money will follow, not with the same amounts in the US, but in Europe, there's also more the culture to be a bit more turning around the euro twice before you spend it, where in US, the culture is more to spend it directly. And obviously this has advantages. Certain innovations in Europe came to market with a factor of 10 less than they would have spent in the US. So obviously two things go hand in hand. We will need a bit more capital. We, we will need more people that are willing to invest. But obviously, we also hope that we can be more efficient with the money when we get. Obviously, what you're going to be needing are talented young people, ideally, and also business support. What are you looking for from the standpoint of individuals and corporate sponsors? What would be the ideal mix? So we're starting the program. So we will also do our recruitment effort in, in the coming weeks and months. As we speak, we're definitely looking for creative talent that's interested to basically get on this path of structured innovation, so which helps to risk, but obviously we, we like ambitious people who want to create an impact in the world to, to revolutionize, in particular, healthcare innovations. We can't do this alone, so we're always looking to partners. We have very good relations with the different universities, with the different medical centers. So both in Belgium, we have used at Leuven and in Rotterdam, we have the medical center Rotterdam, who have fully supported us and, and will support us. And then we're still looking for different companies that want to partner with us because they will see the added advantage of partnering with us, getting access to both talent, innovations, and contacts within the healthcare system. And so the way to get in contact is really reach out to us and we can always discuss. How do they get a hold of you practically? What's the best way to reach out? Yeah, so companies or uh, listeners that are interested, they can reach us through our website, which is www.benefit-fellowship.eu. Or they can contact uh, myself by finding my name, Inge de Prince, on LinkedIn. We would really like to hear from companies that, as Martin said, would like to disseminate this fellowship or present maybe case studies, how they entered the world of medtech, or listen to our fellows present their observations and solutions. And of course, the ultimate dream is to find companies willing to maybe sponsor the fellows. Currently, the program is totally free of charge. There are no tuition fees. But that does mean that the fellows have to be self-supportive. It would be nicer if they were fully funded by a company so that they can take out a year out of their professional career, for example, um, as a gap year and then uh, run through this program and bring the innovation back to their home companies. We're looking for different sectors. This could be pharmaceutical companies, but could also be um, food companies, insurers, technology companies, you name it. And because this is a pilot year, we haven't set up fixed collaborations or sponsorships plans. So we're really open to discussing opportunities with anyone that believes in this bio-design approach. What's the timeline of the project? When do you hope to go live? 
recruitment starts now or promotion starts now recruitment itself will start in April when the application round will be open selection of fellows between May and July and then the program will run from September 2021 to May 2022. If you could make one change with your program or you have one impact that would actually keep late stage value creation here and create new companies and new jobs what one change do you hope that you can impact? I think if you can really show that by de-risking, we can have a higher chance of success in medical innovation, the money that we need and the early stage angels and, and small scale VCs that we're currently lacking, if that can follow, we will have had a great impact. Looking forward to making this happen. Inga, what do you hope to happen? From my side, I'll just be glad if we get the program up and running. <laughs> <laughs> so again, how can people reach out to you? Um, our website is www.benefit-fellowship.eu. And there's a contact form there, including a link to our LinkedIn profiles. That's great. Martin, Inga, thank you very much for your time. And I wish you all success. Thanks thank for you. having us. This Vital Health podcast has been brought to you by PharmaCCX, an independent third-party technology platform focused on improving patient outcomes. They help both sides of the negotiation reach access agreements more efficiently so that patients can get the complex therapies, including combination oncology, they need to survive. That's PharmaCCX.